When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, American Government Civics hybrid class. Uh, so our test is on uh, Wednesday the 14th. That's also when all your work is due. So be sure you're taking care of your business. There were four assignments, but you've also had uh, two and a half weeks to get all this stuff done. So um, take care of that. Uh, we'll do the test in class. It's 30 questions. Uh, if you haven't done the CFA, which is the common form of assessment, I got to open it for you in class. You can't do that outside of class, so be sure uh, you're seeing me. Maybe we can do it after the test on Wednesday, and then test corrections uh, can happen on Thursday uh, while you're in class, the day before the digital day. All right, so let's get rolling with the uh, review for this test. Um, it's on Google Classroom, so if you want a copy, or I gave copies out uh, Wednesday, or excuse me, Tuesday, the 13th, uh, so you might have a hard copy, whatever you want. All right, so first off for the amendments, you do have to know the amendments, uh, and you do have to know the specifics of the amendments, so be sure you're, you're familiar with them and uh, you're ready to go with them. Uh, the first amendment is the freedom of speech, religion, press, assembly, and petition, so you have all five of those things in the first amendment. Uh, so it's a big one in that they, they, they snuck or, or whatever you want to call it, uh, five freedoms into one amendment. So the freedom of speech just means you're allowed to talk and discuss and criticize is the key thing, uh, the government. So we can get on social media and we can you know, really lay into our elected officials with, with criticism. Now, we can't cross the, the line and, and talk about physical violence and things like that. That's not going to fly. But the government is not going to stop you from saying, hey, I don't like this person because they raised my taxes. I don't like this person because they cut funding for this program. You can criticize the decision-making uh, and policies of your elected officials. All right. Now, the government will not stop you. There can be some uh, social consequences. So don't think that you know people get tripped up today because they think, oh, freedom of speech, I can say whatever I want to. That's not the case. Though. There are social consequences to what you say. So just be uh, careful. Uh, don't say dumb stuff uh, because you could uh, run into some trouble. All right, freedom of religion. Uh, I think most people are pretty familiar with this. You're allowed to worship how you want to. <clears throat> And uh, that, that's, you know, you can do any religion you want to. Uh, and there are two key clauses you got to know. The first one that's listed there is the Establishment Clause. This says the government will not create a state-sponsored religion. So what that means is there's never going to be a Church of the United States, a uh, Church of Georgia, that is run by the government and you're forced to go to. All right, so the Establishment Clause gives us that freedom <clears throat> from a, a state-run uh, a state-mandated church, all righty? Uh, it also says that the school, uh, not schools, but uh, the, uh, the government will not make decisions that favor one religion over the other. So they're really trying to make it to where, hey, any religion is, is open and you can worship how you want to. The next one is the free exercise clause, and that just says you can worship how you want to, as long as you don't do illegal things. So you're not allowed to, to you know, have human sacrifices as a part of your religious ceremonies. That, that would be illegal. Can't do that. Uh, then freedom of press. Uh, the press can write what they want to. They can criticize the government as they see fit. Assembly, you're allowed to assemble as long as it's peaceful. Uh, and then petition. 
uh, you can petition the government, meaning, hey, hey, here's my grievances. I've said this, and I have this many signatures that back me up. This is a problem. Don't hear about this too often. <clears throat> All right, the second one is the right to bear arms. Pretty simple. Uh, you have the right to, to own guns. Uh, there are some limitations on, on your gun ownership. I think, I think you have to be 18 to buy a gun officially. Um, although your parents could buy you a gun or, you know, you could get someone that's 18 to buy you a gun. Uh, no quarter of troops. Don't worry about that one. It's not on the test. Uh, no unlawful search and seizure. So the, the government cannot, um, come in and search you without one of three things. They have to have either uh, a warrant, which is an official new document from the, the, uh, the judge outlining why they're searching you. Uh, they can have probable cause, which is they're going to, uh, be somewhere they're allowed to be. And then they can see something, hear something, smell something that would lead them to need to search you. And then your, uh, consent, you can give your consent to search, be searched. The exclusionary rule there, <clears throat> that is, uh, a rule that says they cannot use illegally obtained evidence against you. So if they say, Hey, I'm going to search you, I have probable cause, but they actually didn't have probable cause and it can be proven Then that evidence will be thrown out. All right. The fifth amendment rights of the accused. Um, <clears throat> so the most famous part of this is, you know, the right to remain silent. Um, and that goes for when you're arrested, you'll get the Miranda rights read to you uh, and they'll say, Hey, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you. So best bet if, if you are, and please don't ever be arrested, but if you ever are, just don't talk to the police. Don't, don't say anything other than I want a lawyer and then be quiet um, if you're in that kind of situation. Hopefully you never are. But uh, so you don't have to talk to the police uh, and be, and when you're being questioned and things like that. You also don't have to testify against yourself in the court of law. So uh, you see movies and TV shows where, hey, I plead the fifth, I plead the fifth, I plead the fifth. Yeah, that's not the best strategy. Uh, probably what your lawyer is going to do is just say, hey, my client invokes their right to the Fifth Amendment to not testify against themselves and is not going to not going to get up on the stand. Um, so that's going to be your best bet. Uh, it also has no double jeopardy, so you can't be tried for the same crime twice, uh, which is uh, important if you get found not guilty. Now, you can be tried by the different levels of government, which we'll get to in a minute, which is federalism, but uh, you know the federal level can charge you, the state level can charge you. So uh, there are some, that's not an ironclad thing. All right, number six, the right to a fair and speedy trial. So you get all the things that come with that fair and speedy trial. So you get the right to a lawyer. You get the right to a public trial. You're not going to be tried in some darkroom basement, uh, you know, at, at 3 a.m. Uh, you have a jury. You have to, you, you're able to, to know who's a witness against you and things like that. Number seven is just a right to a jury in a civil case. So you've got criminal where the government is trying to punish you. That's where the Sixth Amendment comes in. The Seventh Amendment is when it's you versus another person. So something has happened and you're suing someone or you're being sued. Uh, you have a right to a jury trial in those cases. Uh, Eighth Amendment, <clears throat> no cruel and unusual punishments. Uh, most of us go right to the death penalty here. And um, <clears throat> it's... Uh, it varies from state to state. Some states have the death penalty, other states don't, but it has been ruled to not be cruel and unusual. So the states are left to make the decisions there. Uh, but also, you know, the, the, the punishments have to fit the crime. Um, if, you know, you go to Kroger down the, the street and you grab a candy bar and you make a run for it and the Kroger person tackles you and holds you until you're arrested, you're not going to get 75 years in jail for stealing a candy bar. All right. Uh, the crime is going to fit the punishment. <clears throat> right to the citizens is the Ninth Amendment. That just means that just because the Constitution doesn't say it, um, it doesn't mean we can't do things. So, you know, the Constitution doesn't say anything about us being able to travel. 
from state to state. It also doesn't say we. It doesn't say we can. It also say it doesn't say doesn't say we can't. So we're pretty much allowed to, to travel from state to state, to other countries, whatever. Uh, so as long as the the Constitution doesn't specifically deny something from us, then it's typically left for us. The Tenth Amendment is the same thing for the states. As long as the Constitution does not specifically say states can't do something, then they're allowed to do it. <clears throat> Alrighty, so those are the first 10 amendments. Once again, on the test, there are several questions where, hey, this is the 8th amendment, what does it do? Or vice versa, uh, this amendment does this, this, and this, and you'll have to pick out the correct amendment. So be prepared for that. Uh, Alright, principles and clauses of the Constitution. So limited government, this is a key idea that uh, Americans have and want, and it's just we want some limitations placed on our government. I know limited government, um, we want some barriers uh, for the government between the government and us. And that's where our Bill of Rights comes in, all right? Uh, those Bill of Rights we just talked about, those are things the state, I mean, the federal government cannot take away from us, okay? Uh, they are limitations placed on the government. They can't unlawfully search and seize us. They can't, you know, try us until they get a outcome that they want. There's no double jeopardy. So the limited government is the idea behind the, the Bill of Rights, and it's the limitations, the barriers, the restrictions, whatever you want to call it, that's placed on the government. And it's a key concept for us. We want to have a government that, that doesn't have this all-encompassing power that can do whatever they want to. Rule of law, uh, a couple things here. First off, it's pretty simple. It's just the, the law should be applied equally to everybody, okay? And so basically for us, it's we want our government officials held to the same standards as us, all righty? So we, uh, you know, from the president, to our Congress people, to justices, uh, Supreme Court justices, and things like that, all the way down to me and you and whoever, uh, the law should be applied equally. Okay, now we can also go a different direction and say demographically, so based on race, sex, religion, all those kinds of things, uh, law should be applied equally across the board. So that's the rule of law. Federalism, a uh, key concept, and we'll get into some more specifics in, later on in the, in the um, what you call it, the study guide, but that's just the, the concept of the, the sharing of powers between the governments. So you, know, you have the national level up in D.C. that can make rules and laws and policy that we have to follow. You have the state government here in Georgia that makes rules and laws and policies that we have to follow. Um, and we could go even further. We could go to the county, the city. You know, we could come to the school. Uh, all these different entities have authority over us. That's federalism. All right, separation of powers is something from a concept from the, the first unit. It comes from an English philosopher that we did. Uh, his name is Baron Montesquieu, Baron de Montesquieu. And uh, he came from a time when the king had all the power. All right, monarchs, they could do whatever they wanted to. They could make a law. They could uh, enforce the law. They could rule on the law all on the same day. And Montesquieu's going to write, that's not right. That's not fair. No one person, no one group should have that much power. <clears throat> and so that's where our branches of government come from. The fact that uh, we have the, the legislative branch, which is going to write the law. We have the executive branch, which is going to enforce. And then we have the judicial branch, which is going to judge. So we have that separation of powers. Uh, they also have checks and balances. All right, The checks and balances are just the items that uh, it's kind of the watchdog function that each branch has over the other. So the legislative branch, they can veto, I mean, excuse me, they can impeach a president or a judge. If they get out of line, if they do something that's not right, then they are allowed to impeach them. The president can veto laws that Congress passes. So it's all the things that each branch has over the other. 
Popular sovereignty is the idea that uh, everything should flow through us, the citizens, okay? We basically give the government the power. And so all policies, rules, laws, things like that, uh, they should be what's best for us. And we should get to have a say in the decision-making process. Judicial review, this is the uh, uh, power of the courts. They can declare a law unconstitutional. Uh, it does not involve them reviewing every single law that's passed. The laws have to be challenged. Necessary and proper clause slash elastic. Uh, so this is in the Constitution. Uh, it is in Article 1, and I can't remember the section and clause, uh, but it's in there. You can go look for it. Uh, and it basically says that as long as Congress is working within their expressed powers, so the, the, there's a list of powers that Congress has, as long as they are doing stuff that's in there, this necessary and proper clause allows them to stretch their powers to kind of... Um, paint outside of the, the, the specific rules, not rules, but the specific powers they have in the Constitution. Okay, so my favorite example of this, I'm a U.S. history guy, sorry, is the Bank of the United States. And I don't know if you remember that from U.S. history. I know last year was a weird year in a lot of ways. Uh, but anyways, um, so in the 18, early 1800s, Congress decided they wanted to create a Bank of the United States to handle all of our commerce business, Okay. A lot of states did not agree with that, and they're like, you can't do that, okay? Uh, but the Necessary and Proper Clause basically said that they can because what the Congress did is they said, well, hey, we have the ability under the Commerce Clause, which we're going to do next, to control all commerce. Now, it doesn't say anything about a bank in there, but because commerce and banks kind of go hand in hand, Necessary and Proper Clause says Congress can create that bank, and it was backed up with a court case, McCullough versus Maryland. All right. So the necessary and proper clause, the elastic clause, allows Congress to stretch their powers when needed. Uh, the commerce clause, this is the clause that uh, we just talked about, and it allows Congress to control uh, all commerce. Uh, there was, you know, prior to this uh, government, the Articles of Confederation was in charge, and they had no power. They had no control. The states were taxing each other, uh, printing up their own money, making deals with other countries, just doing all kinds of stuff. And so they said, you know what, we need to put a stop to that. And so the Commerce Clause uh, was put in place and it says the only people that control interstate commerce is the federal government. Supremacy Clause, Article 6, I think it is, uh, is going to be the one that says the Constitution is above everything. And next is federal laws, then treaties, and you know, finally, once you get down into the, you know, past the top four there, uh, you get into the state's law. So basically, the Supremacy Clause just says that the federal government and the Constitution supersedes, comes before, is number one, uh, in front of the state laws. So federal laws here, and I'm holding my hands up for some reason because you can't see me, but uh, they're up, and then below that is state laws. Uh, and I use the example all the time of, of Colorado and the, the other states that have legalized marijuana. Uh, they've legalized it. You know, they have a booming business with marijuana. However, it is breaking federal law. At any time, the federal government could come and say, hey, supremacy clause, we're going to stop this. And basically, the, the states would have to comply because, and it's happened before. In 05, uh, California had medical marijuana going on, and this, the federal government came and said, you're going to stop. And it went to court, and they were uh, told they should stop. Uh, privileges and immunities, and then full faith and credit. So privileges and immunities, this is your 
basic rights as a citizen uh, from state to state. Okay, there are no when you travel to a different state, there's no special rules and laws that you have to follow. Okay, obviously you have to follow the, the laws of the state that you're in, and you have to do you know abide by that stuff. But there's not going to be well, you're from Georgia, you have to do this, or you have to get a new license, or or anything like that. Okay, you're going to be given the same rights and privileges uh, that come with being a, a citizen of the United States in all all 50 of the states. Uh, full faith and credit just means that uh, each state is going to honor each other's court decisions, contracts, and things like that. Okay. Uh, and I, I like to use myself as, as an example. I'm from Florida. I got married for the first time down in Florida, way too young. Don't get married. But I got married uh, down there, and then I moved to Georgia with her. Didn't have to get remarried up here. Georgia just recognized that we were married because of the, the marriage in Florida. Then we got divorced here in Georgia. I didn't have to go back to Florida and sign any paperwork. Just Florida recognized that, hey, they're divorced. All right. So the states are going to recognize each other's stuff. And this is why the, the same-sex marriage was an issue was because some states were allowing same-sex marriages. Other states were not. And so uh, that, according to full faith and credit, is not right. Uh, what's good in one state should be good in the, uh, the next. And so that's what uh, triggered the, the court case Obergefell versus Hodges back in 2014, 15, somewhere in there, and made uh, same-sex marriages legal. All right, compromises of the Constitutional Convention. So you had an assignment on this. Uh, so first off, the Great Compromise. This combined the Virginia Plan and the New Jersey Plan. The bottom line here was the Virginia Plan called for representation based on population. So the big states were very happy because they were going to have all the power. Uh, the little states presented the New Jersey Plan, which said, hey, let's have representation based on equality so everything's fair. Argue back and forth. For us, we snap our fingers and Great Compromise happened. Um, but it, it, it did take a while to get, get to this point. But the Great Compromise just combined the two plans. So let's have representation uh, based on population in one house. That's our House of Representatives. And then you have uh, representation based on equality in the Senate. So every state has two, uh, two people. Uh, that led to the three-fifths compromise because now population counts for representation. And so uh, the more people you have, the, the more representation you have, therefore the more power you have in the House of Representatives. So uh, the South is also, hey, well, you know what? We got all these people that we've never counted as population before, but now they're going to count as population. All right. And the, we're talking about the slave population. And so the South wanted their slave population to count for representation purposes. The North was like, no, nah, that's, that's not right. You can't do that. And they didn't want the slave population to count for representation purposes. There's also some tax issues in there, but we're going to concentrate on, on representation and population. So once again, argument uh, happens. They eventually decide, well, they'll count three-fifths of the slave population for representation and tax purposes. Uh, and then the commerce, I don't think the commerce one's on there, so we're not going to worry about that one right now. All right, the powers, uh, you might see expressed and delegated as the same thing. Uh, you might also see it as enumerated. There's all kinds of things it's called, but it's the same thing. It is just specific powers written in the Constitution uh, for the federal government. So the federal government has specific powers. They are delegated. They are expressed to the federal government. So uh, Congress is the only one that can coin money. That's an express power of the of Congress. Implied powers are those powers that come from the necessary and proper clause, the one we talked about a little bit earlier. Uh, it is stuff that, you know, it's not in the Constitution necessarily, but they're allowed to do it, okay? And a good example of this from U.S. history is Thomas Jefferson and the Louisiana Purchase. So it doesn't say anywhere in the Constitution, 
that the federal government or the president can purchase land and expand the United States. So he had to wrestle with this decision uh, on whether he could actually do this. Uh, and eventually he said, you know what, I, I can. Uh, I have the ability and the power. Uh, and so it was implied that the president and the Congress could, could do that. Concurrent powers, those are powers shared by the um, state and national government. So, for example, the most famous one, the best one, is the taxes. Uh, not something I'm a huge fan of. But they can both tax us. So here in Georgia, uh, our income is stolen from being taxed by both the, the federal government and the state government. So uh, the federal income tax ranges from 15 to 35%. Uh, our income tax here in state is around 4 or 5%. It's somewhere in there. I'm not sure exactly where it is. And then reserve powers, those are the powers that come from the Tenth Amendment, and they are left to the states. So the states get to make those decisions uh, on what they do. For example, you know, driver's license, that stuff's left to the states. The states get to decide you know, what you have to do. They can change the age. If, if some states have want to have it at 18, they could. 16, whatever. And then whatever requirements they want to give, uh, they can do that. All right, the amendment process is next. So the amendment process, I need you to understand and know some numbers here. I don't ask you to know numbers very often, but I, you do have to know uh, these. All right, so there's a, it's a two-step process to get an amendment passed. Uh, and an amendment is an official change to the Constitution. We are adding something to the Constitution. We are making an amendment to this document. Uh, the two steps, first off, it starts off at the national level, okay? So uh, someone in Congress typically will propose an amendment. So uh, in class, I use the example of, of picking one time. So you know, I don't like the, 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 the switching of times in the fall and the spring. Let's pick one time, one time and let's stick with it. So that's my amendment. I stand up in Congress and I propose that to my fellow Congress people. We would hold a vote and if two thirds, and that's the number you gotta know, two thirds of the full Congress, both the House and the Senate, were to say yes to that thing, then we would uh, move on to the next step. Okay, so that's the national level. Then we go to the states, and the state legislatures get to take a look at this thing. If three-fourths of the state legislatures say yes, then it is ratified and it becomes a piece of the Constitution. All right, so two-thirds at the national level, three-fourths of the states have to sign off on this. This is federalism. You got the national level working with the state level on this. Um, it is purely legislative. As there is no president, the president can't veto uh, an amendment. The judicial branch cannot declare it unconstitutional. Uh, it is purely the legislative branch doing their thing. All right, Federalists versus Anti-Federalists, a couple things here. First off, the Federalists, they were the ones that were for the big, strong central government. The Anti-Federalists were against it. They were perfectly happy with the states uh, and doing their thing, okay? And I think I skipped the Articles of Confederation, so I'll come back to that in just a second. So the Federalists, they wanted the big, strong government. Uh, Anti-Federalists were against it. They wanted, uh, once they got on, okay, so they were against the Constitution for the most part. The Federalists were able to convince them. You know, this whole, whole Constitution Convention was about compromise. They were able to, the Anti-Federalists said, okay, we'll agree if you will give us some kind of Bill of Rights. Because all those rights that we listed at the start of this podcast, none of those were in the Constitution. There was no protection uh, for your speech uh, of the press and things like that. The Federalists were just like, well, hey, you know what? The, the government won't stop the press from saying something. The government won't stop the people from talking and criticizing the government. Uh, and the anti-Federalists like, well, we want some assurances. 
And so the Bill of Rights was the, the assurance, and eventually that's what got the Anti-Federalists on board. Now, the Federalist Papers, those were written by the Federalists, obviously, hopefully you realize that, uh, to support the Constitution. And try because once again, you know, not everybody was on board, and they were trying to drum up support uh, amongst the citizens of the states uh, for this thing. And so they they wrote these 85, 88 essays, something like that, uh, to try and get support uh, from the citizens to the delegates. And then Brutus is just the response of the Anti-Federalists. Alrighty, okay. So I skipped Articles of Confederation and the weaknesses. So there's several weaknesses from the Articles. A couple of the big ones: uh, the Articles of Confederation cannot tax. So, you know, uh, let me take a step back. A lot of responsibility was put on the Articles of Confederation government. So, hey, you're going to take on all these debts. You're supposed to secure and keep America safe, uh, but we don't really give you any authority to do anything. So you're going to pay these debts, but you have no way to raise money because they couldn't tax the states. They could ask for money. They asked for $5 million the first year. They got 400000 okay? Uh, when Shays' Rebellion happened, they asked for military help. No state sent any help. So there was no authority there. Uh, commerce was a mess because the states could do whatever they wanted to. So the states could tax each other, which was a bad thing. Inflation was happening, all right, because some states were printing off money like crazy. Uh, so there was no control of the, of the commerce. And so uh, they're going to fix that with the, the commerce clause that we talked about earlier, all right. Uh, it took 9 out of 13 states to agree to uh, – uh, a law. It took 13 out of 13 to make any kind of change to the articles. There was no president, no executive. Okay, they weren't called presidents at the time, but there was no single figurehead leader. All right. Uh, Congress had very little power. All righty. So all those things were weaknesses that are going to get fixed by the Constitution. All right, we've already done separation of powers. Last few things here, the Electoral College. Uh, so there was a pretty high amount of distrust among the, the founding people, the framers of the Constitution, uh, with us, the citizens. And so the Electoral College was put in as kind of a fail-safe to protect citizens uh, from ourselves and on who we vote for. So basically, when you go vote in November of 2024 for the president, uh, you are voting for the president in whatever state you're in at the time. And your president, your candidate, has to win that state in order to get the Electoral College votes needed. All right, so your vote does matter. People say, well, my vote doesn't matter. Yes, it does. All right, it does matter because it matters at the state level. Anyways, you go vote. If your person wins that state, they get the Electoral College votes, and then the Electoral College will actually go and cast the, the deciding ballot uh, for the president. All right, mandates. Uh, this is a part of federalism. Mandates are uh, basically directives from the federal government to the states. Hey, here's a policy. Here's an issue, whatever it might be that we really want you to handle, and you're going to do it, all right? Uh, I like to use the example of Americans with Disabilities Act from the 90s. The federal government passed it and said, states, you're going to do this. Uh, and so the states had to go back and retroactively uh, put, not retroactively, they had to retrofit uh, all state buildings with wheelchair access, handicap access, and things like that. The mandate was, here's the, the policy, you're going to, to do this. Fiscal federalism, uh, this is just the, the sharing of power, okay, so federalism is the sharing of power, and the fiscal part is money, okay, it's Congress taxing and spending, in our case for fiscal federalism, it's the federal government paying the states uh, in, in, in grants, okay, uh, to get them to do kind of what they want them to, 
Because at the end of the day, the states are like little kids. The states want to do their own thing. They don't want to listen to the parents, the federal government. And so the federal government has to find a way to, to get the states to do what they're supposed to do. And they do that through money. And that's what fiscal federalism is. Finally, Gideon versus Wainwright and Miranda versus Arizona. These are tied to the uh, amendments to the, the Gideon versus Wainwright cases. The Sixth Amendment, that's the one that guaranteed your right to a lawyer. Gideon was arrested for breaking into something or other. I can't remember what it was. Uh, it was a misdemeanor at the time. And they only gave lawyers to people that had committed felonies. So he's like, I want a lawyer. I'm like, nope, you committed a misdemeanor. We're not going to give you one. So he went to trial without a lawyer, was found guilty. He's going to appeal from jail, uh, saying my Sixth Amendment right to a lawyer was violated. The Supreme Court is going to agree with Gideon. And so he gets a second trial, he gets a lawyer, and he's found not guilty. All right, so the bottom line, though, what you need to remember is that that's the one that gives you the right to a lawyer. Miranda versus Arizona, this is the Fifth Amendment case uh, that protects you from having to talk to the police. Uh, you've probably seen a, a police or a cop show where they arrest somebody and they're reading them their rights, the right to remain silent. That comes from Miranda. Miranda was uh, arrested for the rape of uh, a young lady, and he confessed to the police upon questioning. He was found guilty at his trial based on that confession. He appealed, saying, I didn't know I didn't have to talk to the police. And so the Supreme Court agreed saying you have to be informed that you don't have to talk to the police. And so he got a second trial, was still found guilty, even without the confession. And um, But anyways, that's, that's where our Miranda rights come from today, is that you get the, the right to remain silent. And it comes from the Fifth Amendment. Okay? All right, guys, so there is the review. Um, as always, you can reach out to me however you want to. Email, talking points, uh, social media, on Twitter, C-H-H-S gov underscore civics instagram chhs gov underscore civics and i'll be happy to respond to you uh as quick as i can so anyways uh the test is on the 14th be in class to take it we'll take it and uh then we'll go from there all right guys take care bye-bye